Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag. And I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right? I mean, no, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays a means floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get a mean in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tom, best food holiday. That's got to be Thanksgiving. I, I don't know. I still stand by my belief that, that turkey is BS. Turkey's a con. Just because a bunch of people in funny hats. It was the only wild game around. We have to eat this dry meat now every November. I, I'm not buying it. Yeah, but there's a thing called gravy, Kevin. I would submit that the best food holiday is actually Yom Kippur. Counterintuitive because you're fasting for 24 hours, but there is nothing better than breaking a fast. It is it is the holiday equivalent of eating a pizza after a half marathon. Yom Kippur breakfast is the best food holiday. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, really interesting episode of Top Chef. A favorite goes down. We have... 
we go, have yeah. we have some uh, we have a, we have a great Victoire week. We, we got Amar getting off the Schneid. We've got a lot of parody, a lot of parody on this season's Top Chef. Buddha on the bottom, and 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 there there is just we cannot really get a feel. There is no one breaking out of the pack. Uh, there is no one who is overly precarious. It, it is it is a open field. I think I am ready to bury this notion that there are two chefs that are better than any of the others, or, or even three. Um, I, I want to get your first impressions. If you had told me the two trios, bottom and top, I'm not going to tell you which one's bottom or which one's top, but if I had told you Amar, Victoire, and Ali, and then the second trio was Begonia, Buddha, and Gabri, which one are you picking to be in the top this episode? No, and that's that's the right heuristic, right? Like that's how you know a season is just wide open. Is if you say, right, like here are the two uh, two the two groups, top and bottom. Which one is which? And if if, if and we have consistently in the last few weeks just been um, completely backwards. So uh, let, let's run through quickfire because we also, Tom, am I correct? Is it official? We have a very interesting guest coming on in, uh, in just a little while. Yeah, last minute, just kind of um, uh, trying to get uh, someone who has a Yom Kippur uh, no. experience. Pesach. Pesach. Yom, Yom Kippur is September, October. Oh, well, I'm saying, I'm saying, isn't that what you were describing as the best holiday meal? I was describing breakfast as best holiday meal, but that and is not Sarah this can holiday. Chime in? Well, I'm but- saying Sarah can chime in. As as a Jew on this on this episode of Top Chef, she can she can talk about the best holiday meal. She can explain that um, because we're going to have Sarah Bradley on right now. Well, I guess later uh, in a few minutes, once we kind of run through this episode, she's got a couple minutes for us. Um, and we're so excited to have Chef Sarah Bradley back from the Kentucky season um, from Hailing from Paducah, Kentucky at Freight House, we're going to have Sarah Bradley to join us. And she was in the middle of this episode, um, not in the bottom three, not in the top three, in either the quick fire or the elimination challenge. So she's kind of this, you know, unbalanced or um, impartial, balanced observer of the action in this episode. I'm curious to see if she has some insights on the previous episodes that we've seen. So excited to have Sarah on the show. But Kevin... She's the perfect whew. impartial judge because, true, Tom, of the 11 contestants, she was the only one to, to not appear in front of a judge individually this week. Oh, wow. Yes. So she basically was a judge herself. Yes. And oh, I can't wait to ask her about her hand, uh, her her her... Just manual spreadsheet. This like by hand, she's doing a spreadsheet, and I, I can't. I, I'm so glad that the magical elves gave us a little sneak peek of that. It, it could have been, you know, tossed to the cutting room floor that we didn't need to know that. I needed to know that, Kevin. I needed to know the methods, the parameters, the the color coding, the shading that that Sarah does. We're going to ask her that and many more things uh, coming up in a little bit. But yes, the first quick fire, they had to make a dish with mead and honey. Ooh, Kevin, it's an interesting start. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those, make it sweet, make it not too sweet. Can you do something with this um, this this fermented honey alcohol? I mean, it's basically, I guess, I guess I, you know, it's funny. Mead, actually, I'd never really been familiar of it 
I watched Top Chef, and it is a clue. It's an answer in the Thirsty New York Times crossword puzzle. This very day, the very day Mead is featured on Top Chef, it is also an answer in the New York Times crossword puzzle, which is an incredible coincidence. Um, uh, is, is it like no, Tej? Kevin, there are no mistakes, no coincidences in life, Kevin. Keep your third eye open. I see what's – I'm connecting the dots here. Do Is there some sort of New York Times bravo? This is, uh, this is your Illuminati voice with voice talking, but um, – That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's – I mean – Cooking with alcohol, you have to kind of burn it off. I guess uh, meat is like Tej, which is like sort of Ethiopian honey one, I guess. I I wasn't that familiar with it. Uh, So let's make something. Let's make it sweet but not too sweet. Um, My boy Tom ends up with the winner, kind of the most, I think, refined dish of the 11, a duck with a honey caviar. Um, Charbel gets a nice uh, call out with his uh, squash with feta cashew honey and mead sauce. I kind of love like kind of squash with 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 feta and a nut um Jelena does a dish uh like that and out of the cookbook that i make frequently oh. uh, and victoire gets on the board she she is both um she's present both in quick fire top three and elimination top three with her uh shrimp guacamole with um endive uh we got uh spud cilia cilia spud on the bottom <laughs> with uh dumplings with honey mustard go figure Amar with his overly sweet uh, chicken and orange pancakes, which I guess is sort yeah. of like kind of a chicken and waffle uh, sort of variation. Oh, sweet on sweet on sweet. As soon as he was making it, I was just like, oh, boy, I hope there is some acid. And he did not have much acid to cut that. But you know what? Yeah. Uh, that was the calm before the storm for Amar. Yes. And, and Nicole, um, who kind of did a high degree of difficulty. Give her, give it that give that to her. Her uh, Zebioni with honey strawberries just to kind of fell flat. Um and uh, I don't know. Not a, I don't think a terribly notable um, quick fire, but no, still, no. I mean, we we, we uh, I was glad to see Tom kind of I feel like he has been one of the more consistent chefs, but just hasn't really broken out. I, I'm still kind of holding on to him as one of my I, I think I have contestants that I have the best long term prospects for on my roster. But um, yeah, not, not a, I don't think a, I don't think a barn burner of a quick fire, but nonetheless. Yeah, the uh, begonias, anchovies, um, Mediterranean cookie that Padma dropped, but it was still fine. I, I appreciate the the ambition on that one, uh, kind of outside the box thinking, which she has shown before. Um, she nails those sort of like tarts, little cookie type dishes, and I think begonia. Um, there was nothing. There was nothing here. Or in previous episodes, that led me to think that this was a foreshadowing that she wasn't going to uh, do well in the in the elimination challenge. But as we're about to discuss, I think the elimination challenge worked very much against uh, Begonia, and I am so upset to see her go home. But Kevin, now I'm happy about this last chance kitchen. I am very excited <clears throat> because, excuse me, you know how we don't like you know the the stakes of. You know, you get back into the competition twice instead of just once at the end of Last Chance Kitchen. We find out from the previous uh, Last Chance Kitchen of last week's episode with Dale and May and Luciana that the person is coming back into the competition. So going into this elimination challenge, I was kind of like, all right, well, whoever goes home here kind of coming back into the competition. So, all right. We're going to we're going to see what happens here. I hope one of my chefs don't, doesn't go home and we find out they're going to Kent, Kevin. They're going to Kent for a little holiday getaway. Um, I've never been to Kent. Can you talk to me? Do you have a scouting report uh, on I, Kent? I got to be honest with you. I have only been out 
side of the M25, which is sort of the London Beltway, once to go to Oxford for an afternoon. So I am, uh, though I've been to London countless times, my family's over there, uh, I have never been outside uh, into that area. So I am not into the kind of rural, all spaces are kind of drafty and cold and damp part of, <laughs> of England. I'm, I'm only familiar with like central London and, and north London. Um I, I do want to talk about the uh, – I mean, first of all, let me say this about the Last Chance Kitchen. As you know, I'm a huge fan of Last Chance Kitchen. I think it was a great 15 minutes of television. I think it's a little early for my taste. I yeah, think it's a little, little early. early to be coming back with double-digit number. Uh-uh. They, they kind of have been pushing it a little bit each season, and I, I'm, I'm very pro-LCK, but I'm pro it really having to be a tough road. Like I don't think there should just be this, oh, hey, with 10 – chefs left just come on back like i think you have to really you gotta remember those early seasons where it was like a grind yeah and, and i do think that the endurance of it I mean, that that to me is fine so I'm, I'm i'm not thrilled to hear that they're doing this already though i'm i would love to see obviously dale back he's 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 one of mine i would love to see begonia back because i just think she's a fantastic chef can we talk a little bit about I, the even before sarah comes on i, I do want to talk about what i thought was an interesting elimination challenge the holiday meal Right. Which yes. is every, every yes. chef. So they go to this vacation house in Kent um, and they will be cooking in a vacation house kitchen. So this is not an industrial kitchen. This is not a restaurant kitchen. This is not the top chef kitchen. Right. Um, and they will be preparing they have a budget, a, too. Yes, they have they a have budget, a, which we don't really spend too much time on the whole Whole Foods segment of shopping. But there is kind of a little some game theory here with everyone has a 90 dollar budget or 90 pound budget um, so that they can get under their quota. Um, and. It seemed like everything going into this, Kevin, seemed like they were playing nicely. There wasn't any bristling or any sort of uh, dysfunction amongst the group. It seemed like, okay, we're going to play this fair and we're going to, um, you know, pitch in together. I thought maybe Gabri was going to get a loan from Tom since Tom had immunity, but that didn't work out. Uh, he didn't need a loan this time, which much to everyone's surprise and elation. But once the whole like burner stuff happens and the oven and the space and that gets all hashed out, I thought, you know what, we're going to get some real friction here for this elimination. Uh, so there, there are a couple of things about the, the, this, um, this challenge. I mean, the first is, is I, I forget who said it, um, but this was a potluck challenge. Right. There, there's no this is basically everybody make a dish. And I think there was some mindfulness to, hey, somebody should do something a little room temperature or salady and there should be at least nominally kind of mains. But but that, that it is essentially a potluck challenge. The other thing that I think is the most important thing and the most decisive fact was this is an infrastructure challenge and this was an infrastructure elimination. And what I mean by infrastructure challenges is these are the challenges where go off into the Colorado Rockies with nothing but a coat and a pan and build a fire and you're not going to have the luxury of all this technology. And you're going to be barefoot too. Right exactly. Away. Yeah. You know, and, and those are, I mean, these are the infrastructure, which is, is this sort of make lemonade out of lemons. You're not going to have the sort of amenities you would have in obviously a finale or even most of the challenges. And, and that, that was sort of the thing. It is a vacation home. It is a lovely vacation home. But it is a vacation home with, what, two ovens maybe? And it looked like they were not more than a, a handful of burners. And so you've got 11 chefs fighting over it. Now, Buddha, I thought, was very smart at, at the beginning. He says, look, he saw that coming, and he decided he was going to do a room-temperature dish, right? Now, it, it didn't work out well for him, but not for that reason. Um, Amar was very smart. He has obviously a hot dish. He has the ultimate dish. He has the big lamb oh, braise. Yeah. But he wisely— 
chose a dish that allowed him to cook overnight at a low temperature. So he's not fighting Savvy. for yep. oven space during peak hours, right? Who ran into trouble? Who ran into trouble was the deferential, polite person who decided they were going to take another contestant's words for it, that they would have enough time to use the burner after them, right? Let's just say what happened on this episode. There was no throwing under the bus. There was no conflict. Nobody yelled at each other. No one called anybody out. But there are many other contestants who uh, whose emotional regulation is different from Begonia's who could have ripped a new butthole for Charbel. <laughs> Charbel, this is what happened on this episode. And, and, and the cameras didn't catch much of it. And Charbel was very nice. Oh, that isn't what happened. Like, she got screwed. She got absolutely screwed. It was very clear they had a deal. And the deal was, is he would fry up his yep. vegetables, his eggplant, which takes for freaking ever, by the way. Eggplant is never gets as tender as you want it as quickly as you want it to, right? And when he was done, she would get the burner. It is very cliche. As she said, I was in the shit, right? Charbel screwed Begonia and was just fortunate that she had the good graces to just sort of take it lying down. And she took it lying down. And now she is in top one of the I think one of the three best chefs in the competition is now languishing in LCK. Well, Kevin, Charbel um, screwed her. Now, now the counter argument would be you got to stand up for yourself. But you said lay down. She laid down. She laid down. She laid down, and this is top chef, not passive chef, okay? If she <laughs> wants to win this competition, she says, no, Charbel, I'm getting that burner first, and you can take it next, and here's why. That's her move. She had to have gotten that burner. She knows that she's playing with fire, no pun intended, once you're getting that oil secondhand. Who knows if it cooks properly? Who knows if she's going to be delayed? But you're running up a gu- against a gun um, when you're when – you're, Waiting for that that pot to be turned over to you, that's that's a risk, and she had to have known that. Now, I agree. With you. This was a, a what's team she gonna Haverstrom do? Which, I mean, someone's gonna go first, and what I mean, what do you take the burner, the pot off? Do you do you just kind of? I mean, what at that point, what do you do? You you described her as deferential, and I'm saying yes, she was, but, but someone had been- to go first. And I mean, I think the answer is is don't. I mean, you need to create a dish. That is not dependent on peak time fire usage or oven usage. I mean, I think that's the that's answer, right. probably. Yes. Or you yes. know, like, like, like Tom was Tom was doing his own. He had his own like he was in the bathroom or in a in a right. closet somewhere where he was away <laughs> from everyone, wor- making the worst <laughs> apple cake ever made. Oh, I, you know what, Kevin? I'm going to ask you about this now that we're here. Not to get, not to just detour away from what happened to Begonia, because bless her heart, I'm I'm so upset that she's she's yeah, I'm upset too. She's not my contestant, but I'm a fan. Like as you know, yeah. I've I've coveted Begonia. Tom had easily a bottom three dish, but because he had immunity, he was taking someone's spot in the bottom. Th- like- now, typically though, they have put the bottom three. See, this is where I wanted to ask you, and you're a better chronicler of Top Chef history. Typically, if I remember correctly, even if you have immunity, they'll throw you on the bottom three That's what and, I and, and it criticize was clearly you. A shit dish. And in fact, what like, it I don't does think is anyone it, liked it. It creates more tension at the at the at the chopping block, right? Because now you know you have a fifty percent chance if you're one of those other two chefs. So I was surprised as well to see him on the bottom. Though maybe the cake was dense, but not as bad as I don't know. Frankly, the the, the, the green mole from Gabri or, or Buddha's salmon thing. Um, yeah, it's a good I, question, I, but I, I was surprised as well. Okay, so so that that putting that aside, back to Begonia. Begonia, her dish actually, even if she had all of the appliances and amenities to, at, and faculties 
at her disposal. All of that facilities. I don't know what word I was going for there. Any of that, just putting that aside. What did you think of her dish? No, no, I, 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 I reject this premise outright. When you are stressed, look what all the things she had to do. Number one, the chicken was dry. Why was the chicken dry? Well, she cut the chicken pieces in half. Why? Because they weren't going to cook quickly enough because she was behind in time. Everything we've seen from Begonia, from week one onward. If you're going to do a curry sauce, you're not cooking it. No, 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 no. no, no. I mean, cooking is a much more holistic thing than that, right? Like, Like everything we've seen is this woman has zero time management issues. She is the Melissa Kang of this season, along with maybe Buddha, right? Like, she is cool as a cucumber. When you start running behind on time, she is a technical chef. When when she, you have to start compensating in other areas. Oh, shit, my chicken is, is, is not going to cook soon enough. Okay, I'm going to cut the pieces in half. Well, when you cut chicken pieces in half, now you lose some of the juiciness, right? You know, you don't have time to rest. Like, like it's just, I think everything about the dish was compromised by the fact that she was behind on time. So everyone yeah. loved her sauce. I have no doubt that the sauce would have been more integrated into the dish had she not been screwed by Charbel. This was an absolute screw job. And we, she had every right to go up on the judge's table. But, you know, it's kind of a bad look. Nobody likes that person, right? No one likes the person making, don't make excuses or no excuses. It's a competition. You're right. Like, she basically should have taken a shower curtain rod out of one of the guest bathrooms and whacked his head and <laughs> taken his pot off the burner. Or maybe just it. dumped the oil on his head and, and said, hey, and just this said, is boiling hot I oil. A, he, this I, is I, my pot now. That that is what she should have done. She got screwed by Charbel, who was just dishonest. And you know he's up there in the in the in the you know in the testimonials like, oh, that's not what happened. Yeah, what happened is, dude, you lied. What happened is maybe not intentionally or you know, but you did not make good. You screwed another chef. You misrepresented the amount of time you needed on that burner. She even said something to the degree of, uh, that's not what we talked about or whatever. Right? Like she screwed her. She is gone. Because she did not get promised burner space. Now, again, that's why I think the right play is Amar. That's why the right play is Buddha, even though he finished on the bottom. That's right. The yes. white play is Victoire. Or even um, I, I, Sylvia had a very nice dish this week. You know, S- Sylvia Spud did her Easter borscht. Everyone loved it. But it was a, it's a soup, right? Like soup can kind of – it's not as it sensitive safe, to – It was a safe dish, I felt it's like. A safe, no, but it's safe both in a good way, right? Like it's safe yes. in the I'm – not, I'm not going to subject myself to the vagaries of – a home kitchen that isn't big enough to accommodate 11 chefs, right? Like I think that that is what you have to do in these situations. You have to choose dishes that just don't rely on the goodwill of when is that burner or oven going to open up or what if somebody opens the oven while my very precise dish is cooking and it screws up the chemistry, right? Like you heard someone yell, no one opened that oven. I mean, what if someone had opened that oven? I think it might have been Nicole. It sounded officious, so I assume it was Nicole, right? Like I think – that is sort of the thing. Like, so Begonia, yeah, she chose something that was very dependent on infrastructure, but she got screwed by the infrastructure and really by her fellow chef. Okay. So Amar, he, I liked the little, um, from Marta, the little, uh, and the winner is, and I was like, she's like, and in Spanish we say, you know, uh, love is, and then it was the reveal Amar and Amar wins with his lamb shank, which as someone who has a leg of lamb or lamb, uh, 
whether it's Greek Easter, whether it's Christmas, our family, we love lamb. We we eat it um, as much as we can as a family. I love to see that from Amar. It was savvy. The overnight cook, the, um, the accompaniments were top notch. I was surprised he went, won it over Victoire. Um, I thought she just, in terms of the surprise factor, in terms of the comfort food, uh, I also thought she had a better story than Amar. And in terms of the holiday, um, the, the brief as our guy from last week would call it. I don't think what Amar said had anything to do with a holiday. It was, he went on vacation with, uh, one of his Moroccan friends and then that's what he had. Um, so I, I, it was a kind of a loose interpretation. I guess you could say I'm going on holiday, a vacation. Yeah, but anyway. it's, it's one of those, I mean, it's, I mean, let's be honest, like make something from the holidays is sort of, no one's ever going to, no one's ever going to ding you on that. It's one I of know, those challenges that's more of a guideline than a requirement. It's not like, hey, feature this vegetable or make something vegetable forward, right? Like, oh, no doubt he was just sort of like, I'm going to make a big ass braised lamb because yeah. I do this yeah. better than anyone. And by the way, like it's, it's interesting. He does, he does those sorts of dishes when you go to Vaca down in Costa Mesa, which is his restaurant. Like he's really good at those meats. Like, like he got, like, I think, I think, look, there's been a lot of team competition. There've been a lot of weird ingredients cook with this smelly cheese and Amar clearly, this is my interpretation of sort of his decision was just like, screw that. I'm going to make my food. I have not been able to make my food. I'm in this dreary country where everything, all the produce is grown under armpits and it's peas and smelly cheese and whatever. I make, I like smelly cheese though. <laughs> no, I like smelly cheese too. It's just like, <laughs> like it's been a weird, like it's, I think I love Top Chef. I love Top Chef season 20, but if you're a chef testant, I think it's been a weird season. Like yeah, well, he hasn't I, really had a chance just to just freaking cook. He's like, I'm going to make a big ass lamb braise and I'm going to do it my way. Oh, but it has to be a holiday food. Shit. Well, this, Hey, you know what? This is what I eat on holiday. <laughs> this is like, yeah. he kind of, he kind of fudged the definition, but to his credit, like I think Amar was just at the point where it was like, dude, when am I going to be able to cook my freaking food? And All right, he so did, and good for him. He, he's, he's got a little, um, friendship with Ali. Uh, they, they seem to be hitting it off quite well. Um, he gets in the top three as well with the symphony of, you know, the lamb kebab, which, uh, sounds delicious. I thought it was, uh, not as, uh, innovative as maybe some of the other dishes were, but apparently the flavors and the cook, everything was just perfect. And he finishes in the top three with Victoire. And I thought Victoire, she's coming. She, she's like, uh, I wouldn't say most improved or, but breakouts are I'm every episode of, of this season of top chef. I'm loving Victoire and her story more and more and more. She had a, a, a nice top three finish in the, uh, in the quick fire. And then a top three finish here. Team Haberstroh did lose Begonia, um, this, this week, but a really strong performance. We swept 21 the judges table. Yeah. And then uh, at the bottom three, Begonia obviously not happy about that. But I can you imagine being Gabri when you're sitting or standing next to Buddha and Begonia, like at the judges' table at the chopping block? He's got to be like, oh shit, you know, like oh my, like I'm going home for sure. He doesn't go home, um, even though he had a tough cook with the the memory of his father and uh, Gail. Bless her heart. She had a real emotional uh, moment there at the judges table as well. And he able, he was able to power through. I'm not going to say he's a la cucaracha, but Gabri and the bottom three, once again, able to stay into the competition and he continues to stay into the game and Begonia goes home. Um, Kevin, 
I wanted to ask you this family style cook where they're all sitting at the table. Did you feel like this was more interesting to you that they, all the chef testants were eating each other's food to me? I was actually a little confused on who would be in the bottom. I was trying to figure out because they, everything seemed so good and positive, um, and flowery responses. The only time I got to tell magical elves was, I think it was Buddha's dish, the salmon you saw a cut away to Tom and he had a very like mm, a, a look at from him where Tom just had this like, I'm not feeling it look to him when when Buddha's dish was on the on the table. Did you have a bottom three going into the judges table? Did you have a sense that um, Begonia's and Gabri's and Buddha were going to be the bottom three dishes? Because I actually thought Tom was going to be in the bottom. No, it was hard. I mean, I, as a general rule, I prefer chefs dropping off dishes, going back into the kitchen and having professional chefs um, dish about the dish, you know, and beyond. Like that to me is my favorite brand of elimination challenge, sort of prejudge judging. Uh, but I also appreciate that the show has to be diverse in sort of its formats, right? Like you can't do that every week. Like it's fun to have yeah. them sitting around a table together. Um, there's a warm fuzziness that I think does imbue the show and you have to kind of play that up every few weeks with doing something like, hey, it's a group dinner or this is nice. Um it's not my favorite, and also because I enjoy kind of the running commentary. Like, we didn't get a lot of running commentary because everybody's being nice. No one's going to like, like, like this lovely country home and everyone's sitting around a table. No one's going to be like, dude, your salmon is just dog food, right? <laughs> like, like, no one's going to say that. Whereas if it's like they go back into the kitchen and we're like, I'm wondering if it looked like they liked it. And then you've got the professional chefs who are just blah, like, this is terrible, right? Like, so I do prefer the former format, but I think it makes it, to your point, it makes it much harder to glean. I mean, I, I had a sense that, um, I mean, I did have a sense that, um, I want to hear your take Begonia's, on Buddha's dish. Cause like Buddha, yeah. Buddha, he made a salmon salad, but didn't tell the judges that he wanted a salad. They were, they were actually pretty stunned. They were like, wait, that was supposed to be a salad. It was under seasoned. But I also remember Buddha in the initial like conception of this holiday getaway challenge, he wanted to do a pork belly dish and then he pivoted to this one, um, had a lot going on, didn't seem very, um, did it, didn't seem like it was working together. The salmon seemed like a separate dish, but once he explained, Hey, this is a salad, it seemed to make more sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll just say this and, and boy, he, he, his stuff always looks beautiful. And I love salmon. Like salmon is one of my favorite foods. I cook it here as much as I cook anything, right? That didn't look very appetizing. I mean, I don't want to eat a room to a, a cold baked salmon with like a bunch of trimmings on it. Like it's just not a particularly, it, it's not something I want to dig into. It's something right, and that Tom, you- Tom Calicchio was like, hey, this is, this is a little too chefy for me. We, I want a little bit more um, home oh, I, cooking, which is, which is a little, well, I think he said, Buddha he did take issue is, with that. What he, what he actually said is you got caught in between. Right. And mm. that I thought was a really interesting observation. It was you got caught in between chefing it up and being a home cook. And I did think it kind of had the, hey, bring it to the potluck thing. It's a one platter meal. You'll eat it family style. And it did have the, the, the kind of chefy technicalities to it. But it just doesn't it just doesn't it's not that appetite. I mean, Tom, if you were going to a buffet and those 11 dishes were put out. Like, yeah, that's it's, it's gorgeous looking. It's beautiful. And he and I, I mean, look, Buddha makes beautiful food. Um, 
But I am getting you, ten spoonfuls of Sarah's bis, brisket gravy exactly. greens, right? right and right. the lamb shank, and, the, and 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 the probably Nicole's riff on the uh, the pork belly, uh, um, just like all of those. Diff- but I'm I'm a sucker for just decadence, right? right. And so that wasn't that. Um, yeah. And is you it know, enough for you to think, hey, Buddha isn't no, I, I my no, front runner? I, I had no conception he would ever be on the bottom, just because I think he's generally so ridiculously good at this game and so okay. talented that rarely does he make something that just doesn't hey even if you even if he misfires on a concept or doesn't feature this or that like generally speaking his food is just so delicious so again this is one of those problems where again as, as brilliant as the show is it's hard when you can't taste it yourself i'm just saying that like a baked salmon dish with a couscous like yogurt salad with nuts and salmon roe. I, 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 by the way, it's just hilarious that I love Buddha because salmon roe is delicious, and but he puts it on everything. <laughs> it's just awesome, <laughs> I, and I love that he puts it on everything. Um, there's salmon roe in my fridge right now, marinating in sake and 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 and, and soy and and mirin. So like I love salmon roe, but it's kind of hilarious that it ended up on that dish. So yeah, I mean I don't know. It just it doesn't seem as appetizing is his food usually does or for that matter many of the other dishes hello listener guess who's back it's me anthony mays your favorite butcher turned podcast producer and i'm here to talk to you about butcher box butcher box is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep free shipping vacuum sealed packaging It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture you are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. so sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings d-i-n-g-s and get our special deal ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional twenty dollars off you can choose salmon chicken breast or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Here we have Kentucky's own Chef Sarah Bradley joining us on Pack Your Knives. Sarah, we are so excited to have you on this week. Uh, Congratulations on making it this far in the competition. Um, First things first, spreadsheet. Uh, Did you do this the last season? Uh, Did you do this starting this season? Uh, What's your point allocations? Uh, Tell me everything. I need to know it. Okay, so Kelsey and I kept one together on the last season um you know it was it was fine and it was like a good thing and then this time i decided you know i'm gonna do it again um 
Yeah, so I kind of drew everybody out. I go two points for a win. Um, okay. Zero. Po- um, let's see, two points for a win. Um, one, nothing for middle. Um, one for t- so two win, one top, zero middle. Uh, one if negative one if you're in the bottom. Negative two if you're disqualified. So like if you don't get all the food on the plate, you get a negative two, and negative two if you go oh. home. Oh, wow. You got a DQ, um, my, uh, uh, knock. I like this. Yeah. Like, you know, like, uh, like take, for example, like the time Begonia just didn't get it all on the plate. Like essentially, you know, you could be going home for that. So I just count that as uh, the same as a, as an elimination. This is great. I, I, um, I, we have a point system here too. We have 10 points for winning the comp, winning the elimination challenge, minus five if you're sent home, uh, plus five if you're in the top three. I think just in terms of proportion, we're kind of in the same ballpark, but um, you're – your, your, your shading system. Okay. So you, you didn't have, you know, colored pencils. You just did like a fill in the blank. Like what did you, what was your, your strategy here? Yeah. So I'm a chef. So I carry around a mechanical pencil and a Sharpie and that's it. Um, so, <laughs> uh, I hope you put this up so everybody can see it. So a W is a win and X is an elimination. Um, if your square is like colored in, then that was like a top. And if you're kind of like diagonal lines, that was a bottom. So this is you like know, scoring and then, a baseball yeah, game, Kevin. Like, is, this is, is, so Sarah, is the purpose like it just it keeps you engaged in the like the competition part of the competition? Do you do this just kind of because I, like as as just like the way people at baseball games just do it because it's relaxing? I mean, like what is what is yeah. what was your objective here? I think I think one, it was for the competition part of it, but also kind of took the competition out of it, like it kind of removed it all from me and made it like gave it like a little fun aspect like i remember on uh you know season 16 i couldn't remember what happened like like who was in the oh. top who was in the bottom like what happened later on and kelsey and i would flip back and we'd check in the book but this time you know at any moment somebody could say well what happened and i'd pop my book open and every chef knew i had it i'd pop my book open and i'd be like well you were in the top this person was in the <laughs> bottom you know like i had all the stats all the deets right there I love nice. this. Okay, so we we uh we're so excited to have you on to to talk about this season, but let's just dive into this um episode and this competition this this challenge. Look, the quick fire we, we'll I mean, we talked about it earlier. Uh it was make a dish with mead and honey. Um you did a uh the canary melon and mead kind of gazpacho dish. Just a couple quick thoughts on this and the the quick fire, and then we can get on to the, the to the getaway in Kent. My daughter, Lula, loves soup. And so every time I get to talk to her on the phone, she'd be like, make soup, mom. You will win with soup, mom. So I was like, all right, I'll make some soup. I didn't win. I wasn't in the bottom. You know, it was it was in the middle. But uh, they said it was delicious. So Yeah, they said there was a honey gazpacho is what he, yeah. how he characterized yep. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's I went nice. for like that kind of like sweet, chilled, cold soup. You know, a strategy for me in the quick fires, you'll notice a lot of times I do cold food. Number one, everybody's competing for stove space. And if I don't have to do something hot, then I know by the time it gets to the judges, it will either be still cold or at room temperature. So it won't have lost like some of the, you know, the quality, some of like what makes it so delicious. You know, my, my fat's not going to seize up, things like that. So I, I go for cold dishes a lot in the quick fires. 
Yeah, I mean, infrastructure was the big theme, like fighting for space, fighting for oven space, fighting for burner space was the huge theme for me, at least. And and I want to get your read on the elimination. Um, I just went on a rant during our commentary because I feel like <laughs> I feel like Begonia was screwed. I feel like she had a gentle person's agreement with Charbel. Everyone's fighting over that burner space. He's going to do his vegetables and eggplant, and then she's going to get ample time. His stuff doesn't cook because nothing ever cooks when you want it to cook. And she basically was left holding the bag. But because she's a classy lady, she didn't, like, throw anybody under the bus. I mean, she was clearly frustrated. But, like, I have – my feeling is is she got screwed by a fellow chef. Not intentionally. He didn't do it maliciously. He just stuffed it and cooked when he uh, – when the time frame he promised. And – Basically, she had to play catch up and the dishes didn't come together because that's what happens when you're playing catch up. Dishes don't come together. They don't have really time to kind of integrate. And that is my feeling. And, and to your point is, is that you subject yourself to great danger. Yeah. You count on, oh, I have to have this burner space or this oven at this temperature at this time. And the smart way to go is sort of do an MR like, oh, let's do it overnight or I'll do something room temperature. I mean, was my is my interpretation of what happened to Begonia sort of correct? I think, I think there were some, you know, and I think there's always stuff that, you know, doesn't get put on TV. I mean, you know, I I think you heard her say she cut the chicken in half because she was worried it wouldn't cook in time. So, I mean, that was, you know, a flaw The the dish, the sauce was delicious. The sauce was delicious. It was like a peanut kind of coconut tomato sauce. Very yummy. Um, The vegetables, you know... (laughs) The vegetables were good. The chicken was just dry. And you heard that in the thing. And I feel like this is a standard rule in Top Chef. Like if three people have horrible dishes and one person doesn't nail the protein, that person's yeah. going home. Yeah. That's yeah. what it is. So, you know, like it doesn't matter that other people, you know, didn't do things as good. Like Gabri's fish was cooked perfect. Um, you know, they said they liked the way Buddha's fish was cooked. So when she messes up the protein, um, you know, it's her. So I don't know. I Did also you- think that she had she had maybe some trouble just kind of connecting to the story. You know, she said she didn't feel, she didn't like to celebrate a holiday and then she picked a holiday that she didn't really like to celebrate. So it's, you know, kind of also what happened to Gabri. Like it was a, it had, you know, heart, like it was a sad, was a sad memory. It wasn't like a happy memory. So, you know, did it's you, hard to get did, behind that. Gotcha. You, um, on the episode, while you're conceiving of the uh, the idea of doing this like kind of potluck holiday getaway meal where everyone presents a dish, you you were uh, quoted as saying something like something like, "So we're uh, I guess we're not doing a comprehensive meal." Um, <laughs> so can you can you kind of put us at that table of who's the alpha in that conversation of like how we're going to do this whole potluck thing and. Did it feel like to you that everyone eventually just like said, you know, I'm going to fucking just do my dish. And then uh, who cares if there's any sort of thread? So a little background behind that. They, we were required to do one side dish and one dessert. Those were the only stipulations. Um, nobody wanted to do the side. I was like, I'll do the side. You guys like I love side dishes. I think that's what makes it. That's what makes family meal to yes. me so good is all the other little things. Tom took the cake because he had immunity. Nobody wanted to make dessert. Um, there was, if you look back, there were a significant amount of proteins. Um, really kind of the only people that did a side dish were Victoire with her bean stew, Sylvia with her soup, myself with the greens. And then Charbel did this like fried eggplant. Everything else was pretty much a protein. Um, so it didn't feel 
super comprehensive. Um, but uh, I think just, you know, it's sometimes I love a team challenge. Okay. I love a team challenge, but there has to be somebody that's like, you guys, we have to apply to the rules of what this challenge is or else we're all going to get knocked for it. So, you know, sometimes I'll speak up and be that person. Sometimes people don't like it, but that's all right. <laughs> who Who's more, uh, I don't want to say a kitchen tyrant, but who's more um, assertive, Nicole or Buddha? Um, Buddha, Buddha. I, I mean, and it's not a bad thing to be assertive in a kitchen, you know, like, yeah. I mean, this is why, this is why all of these chefs that are on this, you know, this show and people that are cooking at this level, it's because we know what we want and we get what we want. Um, and we make sure it happens. But I think Nicole's is a little different than Buddha's maybe, but, um, but I like Buddha's assertiveness. You know, I think it's, I think it works well for him. Um, plus he has it in that, like, very endearing Australian accent, so it's not so bad. <laughs> Whereas Nicole's is, is what Canadian, and so it, it, it's delightful but passive aggressive. Um, yeah, I, yeah, and you know, and she named I all her Tupperware. I love. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm I'm a huge Nicole fan. So, um, and oh, she's so great. funny, you guys. So funny. Uh, so I've been making like I, I've been doing kind of the the cheapest brand of humor, which is like just taking digs at English food. Like I love watching the show this season try to dress up British food as being like this is great. It's like no, I mean I, I think they should have probably leaned into the fact that it, and they have a little bit, right? I mean I just think, but um, how do you feel like you know, especially coming? I mean, listen, you and I are both Southerners. We're both Southern Jews. Like um, there's culinary tradition there. I, I'm just curious how you feel like the sort of London. England, like sort of food component of the show. I've just been so amused watching them try to like doll up pub food. It is just hilarious to me. Well, you know, I, it is, it's like, it's, it is, it's like, take this classic and make it like super elevated. Like, I mean, that's kind of a, that's kind of the shtick for top chef all the time. Like take wherever you are and reimagine it. Um, I really have loved the collaborativeness that they've kind of brought, um, but, you know, to this episode or to this season, I guess. But, yeah, it's just it's odd because, like, I mean, like the full English breakfast, you guys, that's that's just gross. It's just <laughs> it's gross. So like, gross. Baby, it's not good at all. Like, it's not good, you know. And so, like, to, you know, just to some of that stuff. But I will say, while we're cooking all this food on Top Chef, because they have to feed us. So we're also getting, like, tons of takeout food as the chefs. And the, like the takeout scene in London is absolutely amazing. Like you yeah. can get any any ethnicity of food you want, and it's delicious. Um, Indian so it's like, food in particular. Uh, Dishoom. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. Dishoom. Um, so that's the place. How do you like the hotel? That's the hotel I stay at when I'm in London because I'm a, I'm a I'm a Kimpton Hotels like uh, person from my traveling sports writer days. Like how do, I love I love Russell Square and love being there. I'm just curious. Like um, I studied in Russell Square when I was there for a that semester. That is like like I love that hotel and I, it's been such a thrill every time they show you guys in the hotel. Like that's my hotel. It's gorgeous. I mean, it it's almost like you can't you can't believe that buildings like that have ever existed. What's really funny though, is like, I had a a really great size room and I think that most of the other, um, lady chefs had a great size room, but some of the gentlemen got stuck with like the little closet room with like the twin, (laughs) with like the twin bed, you know, the, like, like, it was, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty funny, pretty comical, but the place itself was gorgeous. 
All right, so you're going you're going to Kent. Um, the the house is in the countryside. It looks like some sort of um, amazing estate uh, because of the Verbo sponsorship. Um, there was a ten thousand dollar Verbo bonus on this episode. Uh, you come in with the the side dish. Uh, you guys had that budget challenge or the challenge of having under a thousand pounds. Was it your idea to get the tequila to top off the the whole buy? I think we all grabbed a different bottle of booze and put it in our cart. And then when we got there and saw what we had left, we were like, all right, gin. Lots of people like gin, tequila. I'm actually not a huge tequila fan. I love Mezcal, but tequila, I have too many college-based memories with tequila. And <laughs> Jose I just, Cuervo, Montezuma's I, yeah, Revenge. Yeah, yeah. I just can't do it. <laughs> Yeah, because it, it looked like uh, so. Gabri was talking about. Um, he was like, "Oh, I'm a little hungover today." So, was there a big party beforehand? And and when there is a big party, are you like, guys, uh, go ahead and drink that that six shots of tequila because I'm gonna I'm gonna be fresh and dandy tomorrow morning, and I am gonna sit this one out. Um, a couple of the chefs went to bed. I was not in that crew that went to bed on time that night. We had a pool, like a heated pool at the countryside of England, with like a sauna right next to it. And a few of us stayed up pretty late talking and drinking and doing cannonballs. We had a good time. Oh, there was, oh God, there was no, no footage of the, of the late night, uh, swim party. That's <laughs> I know. Um, I want to ask about freight house. Um, and how's it doing? Yeah. Uh, it char. I loved going to the freight house menu and seeing the little top chef knife next to you have, let's see, I'm counting four top chef dishes. Um, on the menu, your top chef shepherd's pie, the cover crops, uh, the cheese and crackers, and and the everything salad is from is from the Kentucky season, right? No, so the everything oh, salad was, was like a plate. Oh, yeah, yeah it was, was like a plate yeah. on the rice. Oh, no, no, that we was earlier this year. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, um, we just also added like from the biscuit challenge, we added um, the like the dessert that I kind of put, and then we have things like here. I'm talking smack about um, full English breakfast and we have like full English deviled eggs on the menu. Yeah. So it's, it's so much fun to like get to cook these things. And then we come back and we put them on the menu and we get to tweak them to make them really delicious and not have to be like done in, you know, a two hour time limit. So, um, we just keep putting them on. So as long as I'm on the show, I'll keep adding top chef dishes to the menu. I, I love it. And Tom, there's these very cute little top chef knives next to those dishes. Kind yeah. of like chef chef. <laughs> are you, are you cooking for Passover? I am. So what are you making? Uh, last, so last night, so I pulled, I had a bunch of lamb shank coming out of the oven yesterday. Um, I made Passover. I mean, a matzo ball soup. I love to make matzo ball soup. It's one of my favorite things to make. Um, let's see what, I mean, I'll do herosis. My mother makes the chopped liver. We do brisket and onions. We do like the whole thing up. Nice. nice. Yeah, Kevin nice. just yeah. tells me that, um, uh, that break after there the, the the breaking the fast after Yom Kippur or whatever, that's the best holiday meal. Yeah, um, I actually think that I have a controversial opinion, Sarah, that the, the actually the breaking of the fast after you've not eaten for 27 hours mm. is like the best holiday meal ever. I went with just, Thanksgiving, but he went with that. Because it's just like you, you just want to eat everything. And it's 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 like I mean, you're you're breaking a freaking fast. What's better than that? I'm biased to Hanukkah as as a Reformed Jew that grew up in the South, our Hanukkah consisted of donuts, local donuts that um, still they still <laughs> use lard to fry the donuts, fried chicken, um, like potato latkes with apple butter and like sour cream. Nice. Like I'm, 
I'm I'm partial to Hanukkah. Plus, it's a whole week of fried food, so like you can't go wrong with that. Yeah, it's true. Are, Wait, are is you, that do, is that part of like lighting the menorah? Is you have to eat fried food? Like, what's the association there? Um, things cooked in oil. Yeah, we're like thankful for the oil. So um, oh. it kept the eternal lamp burning. So you eat everything fried. You like cook it in oil. And that's how you how you eat on Hanukkah. It is a beige food holiday, basically for eight straight <laughs> days. Did you did you grow up eating crappy like Bartons and Manischewitz um, Passover candy? Of course, and of course. And favorite? I love. Well, I love the I love the little almond cookies. Almond kisses. The almond kisses. They're so good. My daughters pounded like probably each of them ate like eight the other night. Like they were so excited for them. Um, I love that. And you know, I love gefilte fish too. I do too. And I like a little sweetness. Oh. I, I, I need to come to Paducah. I would love to get a, um, I make chopped liver and I make damn good chopped liver. And I, 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 I do the schmaltz and the whole deal. Um, but I would like to get a lesson from you in, in the making of um, gefilte fish. Cause it's a little intimidating for me and I've never really given it a, a full go. Um, you know, I always, I, I think the trick to like elevating your chopped liver is a little bit of sherry vinegar, just a Ooh. little, just a tiny bit. I mean, there's so much fat in there. It's so savory, just a little vinegar. It's almost like a, a, a pate in that respect, right? Like yeah. you almost treat yep. it like a pate. Yeah. Nice. Sarah, Sarah, you returned to Top Chef while you're also trying to breastfeed and send the milk back to, to America. Can you walk me through the, um, did you hesitate to accept this invitation to do this season of Top Chef? And as a mother, you've spoken this season about like, I want to prove to the world that like, just because you just had a kid doesn't mean you can't, you know, compete at the highest levels of this skill competition. Um, and you can kick ass while you're doing it. So can you walk as, as someone that watched my wife, um, just nonstop, uh, have these, these suction cups to her breast for like <laughs> six months straight. Um, it's a pain in the ass and I can't got, it, it just feels like to me that you're, you're superheroes for even trying to do this, um, and doing the top chef competition on top of it. Just wow. Wow. Like incredible. You know, I look back on it now and wonder like if it didn't ground me a little bit, you know, like, I mean, I never like went in another room and pumped. I pumped right in front of everybody. I pumped on set in front of the chefs when we were being transported in BMWs. Like I, I didn't hold back. If it was time for me to pump, it was time. Um, and I wonder if maybe it didn't like keep me connected to my, my children a little bit, you know, like, cause we mm. all know they take, you lose your cell phones, you lose, you know, the news, the radio, you lose all that outside access. And so maybe um, maybe it kept me grounded a little bit, but it was something that I just wasn't willing to give up. I wasn't, yep. you know, I knew that if I kept my milk supply up while I was gone, when I got back, hopefully I could jump right back into breastfeeding. And now my daughter's almost 18 months old and I'm still breastfeeding. So it worked. You know, I didn't oh, have to yeah. give that up. Yeah. yeah. My, my wife called it uh, liquid gold. Um, yes, and she was just is. like, I would never, I would never give that up. And that's just, I mean, to each their own, but, um, she definitely vibes with that, with that, um, with that notion. Now you're, you get the invitation to go on top chef. Um, is that a moment of like 100% I'm going to do this? Or were you like, man, this, this is daunting. So it was funny. We were upstairs. We were like trying to put the kids down for a nap or something. And 
you know, I see this phone come up and I have it saved as like a top chef producer. So I answer it. I put it on speakerphone and he's like, you know, Sarah, we were calling, just wondering if you were, you know, consider this uh, top chef, it's going to be international. And my husband's like over in the corner, like jumping up and down, silently screaming, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And we had talked about it before, like that if they ever called, like, we got to go back, we got to do this. It was so Power. good for my business, for my community, for our family. So I just told him right there, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And they were like, you don't need to talk to anybody about this. So I was like, no, I'm good. I'll do it. And they, oh, I think they great. were shocked that I said Power. it that quickly, but, um, you know, when you know, you know, so I knew that he would take care of everything at home. So I just got to go and compete. How many years has the restaurant been open yeah. yet? No. We have been open eight years. Wow. Kevin, yeah. I was told by a certain Sarah that there is a nonstop to Charlotte. Uh, what is it? A couple times yeah, a day? Sure. From American yeah. Airlines, major hub from Douglas. Major yeah, hub. you can you can fly right to Paducah from Charlotte now. We got to do something, Kevin. We got to yeah. make this happen. What, Whether the, you have to do a home. We have to do a live podcast from from the freight house. I mean, oh, listeners out there, would you be down for like a, a little meetup at, in Paducah, Kentucky at the Freight House and do a little event um, with the Pack Your Knives crew? I mean, that, I I can hop on a flight in the next 20 minutes and be in Paducah <laughs> in like an hour <laughs> and a half. You can be in Paducah by lunch. Yes. I mean, that I, sounds amazing. You, you guys come. We'll do the live podcast. I'll cook a bunch of food. We'll have a good time. We'll drink bourbon. We'll talk about why. Um why Kevin passed me up and didn't draft me until seven, you know, passed me on the draft. We'll talk about that. Oh, we'll God. talk about that. My heart was broken. I, this is the hardest He's part of for now. this show is not I'm paying for it. I, uh, I, I, I have no good explanation. I don't know. I am. Was, um, I hope you prove me take wrong. First? Who did you I take first? Buddha. I can't I remember. Buddha. Yeah. Buddha. Oh, come on. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You took Buddha and then you, t and then so, how are you guys faring in this in this draft? Okay, so I have eighty three points right now, and Kevin has fifty seven. Um, I, I took May. I've won. May's departure really hurt me. Yeah, May um, getting sent down to Last Chance Kitchen, and where then she has to, where she has to cook pet rabbit, no less. So it's like. <laughs> yeah, that was that. We'll talk about that, but yeah, um, Sarah, it's it was. Um, you know, Begonia and Ali were my first two picks. Uh, I got Charbel after winning the first episode. Actually, this was the interesting thing, Sarah. Um, he won the first challenge, and yet he fell to like, you know, 10 in our draft or whatever it was. I guess we weren't too um, enthused with, with Charbel's cook there, but he's um, he's been on my team, and I'm very happy about that. Yeah, he is, he is such a, a gen he's just genuinely nice person. He is, he is so sweet. He was, it was fun to have him around. Who, who I, I know we're, we're like five episodes in. It seems like, um, you've got lots of friends in that, in that kitchen, but, um, is there anyone that you just want to give a shout out to, especially, um, for, for how much you love them on this season? A uh, Sylvia, Sylvia, the potato girl. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, you know, Sylvia has a daughter right around the same age as mine. Our rooms were right across the hall from each other in the hotel. And we just really got close really quick. Um, you know, we'd lay in, lay in my hotel room and drink wine and watch horrible British TV at night. Um, yeah, she, she and I got super close. And she's outrageously funny. Outrageously funny. 
I, I call her Sylvia Spud because potatoes in every possible dish imaginable. Yeah. It's, you know, it's good. And, you know, I think, um, you know, I really, Amara and I really got along well too. Um, you know, we don't always see eye to eye on everything, but he also had, you know, young children. So, um, a young child. So I think we really, we really got, we, everybody, there's not one person on this season that I don't like, like there's not one person. Well, you get along and with pretty much everybody because I'm watching your, your Instagram and you're, you're a mom and yet you like to do videos where you show the proper way to shotgun a beer, you know, Yes. um, yep. which, which now in the last few years with the pandemic, chefs have had to kind of really lean into the Instagram videos and like being a personality, it seems to work really well with you as a person. And then you did leading up to the season, you did the, my Rocky training videos, your Rocky video, which was very well produced. Uh, I need to know more about this. That was probably the first exercise I'd done postpartum. I think my baby was like, <laughs> I think it was, she was like nine weeks old and I'd had, you know, like my second C-section. So I'm like running in front of the river at downtown Paducah thinking like, Oh God, this is, this is so hard. But, um, you know, I just, I like to have fun with it. Like, you know, it's funny to me to think like, how do we take Rocky? And then, you know, I like go in the walk-in and like, you know, pound on the little tiny steak and, you know, try to, I could not <laughs> drink the raw eggs like he does. I tried and tried, I couldn't do it. Um, you know, so I had to scramble and like, I don't know. I just think that there's a lot of humor in cooking. And I think that your food tastes better when you, um, when you cook that way. And so, I just embrace it. You know, it's a good time. Wait, wait, and I have a I, great I, I team love... that helps me, helps me make all those videos too. So what was your, what was your situation? I, I like raw eggs. Like it's just, it's just, what's, what's the turnoff to you? Just as like this, the texture. Wait, wait, wait what do you mean like crack them? You want to like crack them in a cup and drink them? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I love, I, I, oh. I love raw, uh, Sarah, by the way, by I the love way, raw chicken too. So I, he I, likes I, raw chicken. Like he so likes like, undercooked chicken. Like so raw, actually he would have loved protein in general, but you just couldn't get it down. It was the, I the, just, the, yeah, I couldn't get it down. It was like, it's like, that's the way I looked when I was drinking those raw eggs is the same way I look when I'm trying to take a shot of tequila. Like I okay. just can't, I just can't do it. <laughs> I'm with you on tequila. Oh no, it, it, it's, it's an easier hangover. So when I, as a, as, as someone who's married to someone who's, uh, who grew up in Louisville, Kentucky and her, her dad went to UK and has the John Calipari. I don't know if you know this, Kevin, but you can get like a John Calipari, Kentucky themed maker's mark at Costco. And for like, like $28, like the bottle is in the shape of John Calipari. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a statue of John Calipari. Uh, no, but like I, I feel like bourbon hangovers are harsher uh, than tequila ones for whatever reason. And so I've, I've started to drinking more tequila, but I'm with Sarah. I much prefer a mezcal. When you're 50 years old, all hangovers are terrible. Except sake. Sake, for whatever reason, is just like the magic alcohol. But it, it just does not hang over. But it's all terrible. You know, I, I got to tell Sarah's you guys. Sarah's like. Sarah's got to well, go, but I know she's probably just like, I don't get hangovers. What are you talking about? Like, no, I get a hangover. Oh my God. And it, it, <laughs> what's worse about a hangover now is that you have to like wake up and still do like the parent stuff. You can't just like lay in bed all day and, you know, eat Cheetos. You have to like get up and like go to dance class and make breakfast and like do all of those things. That's the worst part about hangover now. 
Yeah. And somehow the kids don't realize you're having a hangover or they do. And they're just being extra awful that morning. So you're just like, oh, can you just no, please, please do not scream. Please do not spill that. And then it inevitably happens. Sarah Bradley, thank you so much for making time for us this week. It is such a joy. I love Um, visiting with Sarah. We're, we're, we're going to have to do something in Paducah. Uh, I'm putting it down on the calendar. We're going to make this happen. It's, it's a quick flight from Charlotte. It's probably a quicker commute from Charlotte than it is from Louisville. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's super fast. You're like one of those little planes where the time you get up, you come right back down. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah. I'll hit it on the way home from Atlanta. That's what we'll do. Yes. Come. This'll be great. Come to Paducah. We'll talk game theory and variants. Those are like the things that I'm into when I watch like competition cooking shows. Um, yeah, come and we'll, and we'll chat it up. Love it. From Freight House in Paducah, Kentucky. Uh, you got to go, everyone. You got to go. And you can try some of those dishes that Kevin mentioned on the menu. So um, thanks so much for joining us. And we'll, we'll shotgun a beer soon, okay? All right. Bye, boys. kitchen apples and peas and cheese and all other brit ingredients um including rabbit uh which you know while a staple in certain parts of northern europe uh we learned is a pet in well, it's pet everywhere but but uh may, may sort of may pains to to state that uh this is essentially asking her to cook a pet this is not something she would ever cook um and you could sense from the very beginning it was sort of an uphill battle you know the old like it looked like you were so upset out there it looked like someone killed your dog literally it looked like may was someone had just killed her dog or killed her pet and that was exactly what had happened in this episode is she is now as tom lifts up the uh whatever you call it and and there it is the rabbit her just everything in her being just was sad, sad face, terrified, all of it. And she had to go cook this uh, poached roulade, which actually didn't, didn't really pan out for her. Uh, she did the m- m- mascarpone che- cheese and so did Dale. Um, actually he did the feta cheese with a spuma and apple. It didn't feel like it was very seasoned. Actually, Tom didn't like the seasoning on the, uh, on the dish. It felt, a, you know, even though everything was technically cooked well, um, he felt that the feta actually wasn't as strong as it needed to be, which is ironic because feta is as salty as a cheese as it gets. Luciana comes in with the miso sauce, the sake, um, the dish with, it seemed a little, um, uh, at first a little too, what was it too salty? I think Tom said it was. And then it kind of mellowed out as he continued to eat it. But Kevin, the big thing here is I, I don't know if Dawn is made for the peanut gallery. She didn't seem so. Dawn did not look like she was having a good time. I mean, I, we've always sort of stated there, there has to be something truly miserable about having to hang around and be a spectator. And then like being filmed as a spectator, like I, I can imagine myself being in that situation being like, look, I understand the indignity of, of losing and having to hang out or be sequestered. But now you make me just watch the losers bracket. Like it's, it's, um, but yeah, Dawn, Dawn does not look like she's having a great time, uh, in the, um, uh, in, in the peanut gallery now. Yeah. I don't it was, blame her. Uh... 
Yeah, I, I don't blame her too. It's probably more fun when there's like a whole cast of of Peanut Gallery when it's just you and Samwell, um, who you barely even know at this point uh, because he was eliminated in the first episode. Just not not a lot of sparks flying there in the Peanut Gallery. Um, but with the rabbit challenge with the cheese, apples, and peas, uh, Luciana wins. She gets a plus one because she moves on in Last Chance Kitchen. Dale moves on with his Espuma dish. Uh, um, and he comes in with plus one. Moving on in the competition, May gets sent home. I feel like we're going to see May in, in another episode or another competition, another season of Top Chef. Because I, I think she got the short end of the stick on this season. I think she can show a lot better than she she uh, the opportunities that she was granted. Yeah, I, I do too. And again, I, I think someone who got uh, a little bit punished by team competition. Uh, yes, I'm making excuses, but I just feel like we didn't see like we didn't get to see the full range there. Uh, I think she's incredibly talented, and it just it, it broke wrong. Um, first, she gets put with Dale and and pub food, and then she has to cook a pet, and and you know that's just that's <laughs> a lot to ask anybody. So Close. the. The big news, the big yes. news here, Tom, saying that there, there was one more Last Chance Kitchen. Of course, we're recording this uh, ahead of time, so we're not actually knowing who is going to be re-entering the competition. We're, we're an episode behind on Last Chance Kitchen. But uh, one of the three, Dale, Luciana, or Begonia, is going to be moving in back into the competition, out of relegation, moving in and promoted to uh, the, the big leagues once again. I'm rooting for Begonia. But you know what? Um, Luciana is on Team Habisher as well. So, Dale, um, I know you're rooting for him to get back in. But this is um, very big upset. Begonia out. I think what this is, the fifth episode of Top Chef Season 20. Um, many people had her as the favorite. Can't she get back into the competition? Thank you to Sarah for joining us. Uh, go check out the Freight House. Kevin, no Begonia, but we are going forward in this uh, Season 20 All-Stars. We're leaving Kent, going back to London, presumably. And Paris isn't around, isn't isn't too far away. Um, it is a season of parody. Yes, we look forward to the channel. For Tom Abistro, this is Kevin Arnament, and this is Pack Your Knives. 